0: I'd love to open up uh, the story of the woman at the well for you uh, this morning. And so we're going to be looking at John chapter 4. And I want to draw kind of three points out of this. I want to look at how Jesus loves this woman where she was. I want to look at how Jesus loves this woman knowingly. And I want to look at how Jesus loves this woman sacrificially. So uh, let me read John chapter 4 Uh, verse 4 to 9, to you. Now he had to go through Samaria, that's Jesus, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This woman at the well says to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me? for a drink. Some historical context here is important for us to understand. Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, had been captured 700 years previously, and they had adopted a new kind of the Jewish religion, uh, very much infiltrated by the Assyrian worship, Um, They still kind of followed some of the uh, Jewish teaching, the first five books of our Old Testament, but they'd also incorporated many other religious practices, even including things like child sacrifice. And so there was a division between the Jew and the Samaritan woman. In fact, the oral tradition of the law that the Jews uh, referred to said this, he that eats the bread of the Samaritans... Is like to one that eats the flesh of swine. Just to mingle and be around Samaritans was not an acceptable practice among the Jews. In fact, they would often take an extra day's journey to avoid going through Samaria. Having this understanding helps us understand uh, stories like the Good Samaritan. Wow, a Samaritan loves a Jewish person? Gosh. It helps us to understand, perhaps, the shock upon people's face when Jesus said uh, to go and make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. You think, And Samaria? Goodness me. And then it helps us understand why Philip, what a pioneer, the one who would go into Samaria and open up that land with the gospel. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Perhaps helpful to understand the racial tension in the 60s in America, that kind of division of of even separate water containers, separate toilets, separate places on the bus. There was this separation between Jew and Samaritan. And she was a woman. Some devout Jews wouldn't even talk to their wives, sisters, or daughters in public. Sometimes they would walk five or ten feet ahead. How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And not just that, she is um, an impure woman. What do we mean by that? Well, Jesus was there about the six hours, probably around 12 o'clock. It was the hottest part of the day. And she was there collecting water. And if you're in that climate and that culture, you know that's a really bad time to go and get water. You'd go and get it first thing or last thing when it's cooler. Carrying the water is a lot of an easier job. Yet this woman is here in the heat of the day to get water. Most people would say it's probably because she's ashamed of how she's lived her life. We later come on to learn that she's had five husbands and the man she's now with is not her husband. And so she's out in the heat of the day collecting water, this impure Samaritan woman. Yet Jesus goes to her. Jesus loves her where she was, the land that most of his people would avoid the people who were separated and segregated, Jesus comes to the woman at the well. John has already said in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Someone might say, imagine you have a, a, a well, a different well. Imagine a large, deep well, and imagine... The human race is at the bottom of this well and we need to get out of the well we need to get out of our sin we need to get out of our problems we need to get out of our mess and the picture goes that perhaps one religious expert may come up and say oh, what you need to do is follow these five laws these five principles and then you can climb yourself out of the well Maybe someone else might come and say, no, no, that's not the answer. You need to pray to this person on this day, at this time, and in this way. And if you get that right, you can perhaps get lifted out. Yet as followers of Jesus, we believe that God so loved the world, he came to the bottom of the well. He didn't give us a self-help program to get ourselves out. He came right into our mess, right into our humanity right here to this woman at the well and see how he loves her where she was. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. He turns up to the well without a bucket to draw water. A kind of modern day equivalent might be like going to the supermarket or the pub uh, without your wallet or your phone now. Perhaps maybe you're a bit more modern paying on Apple Pay. You don't do that. And then notice... How he asks her for water. Have you ever thought about it? What profound humility. Jesus could have just clicked his finger and created a nice Harrogate spa, good Yorkshire drink, water, maybe sparkling, maybe a hint of lime in it. He could have had that, it just clicked his fingers. Yet he asks her for a drink. Think about it the one who was created. Every single particle of water that has ever existed asks for a drink. What amazing humility! He comes to this woman's brokenness and he doesn't point a judgmental finger, but he offers an open hand and he serves her by asking to be served. Maybe some of you will do this. I did this last year, Mother's Day. I thought, instead of me creating a nice breakfast, I'll empower my children to make the breakfast. Bit of a mistake. (laughs) But parents know they want to empower their children. And sometimes, actually, you serve them by being served. Jesus does this with this woman. He lifts her up. Suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden begins a story by an old philosopher called Kierkegaard. The king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. No one dared breathe a word against him, for he had the strength to crush all opponents. And yet this mighty king was melted by a love for a humble maiden. How could he declare his love for her? In an odd sort of way, his very kingliness tied his hands. If he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with jewels and clothed her body in royal robes, she would surely not resist. No one dared resist him. But would she love him? She would say she loved him, of course, but would she truly Or would she live with him in fear, nursing a private grief for the life she'd left behind? Would she be happy at his side? How could he know? If he rode to her forest cottage in his royal carriage with an armed escort waving bright banners, that would, too, overwhelm her. He did not want a cringing subject. He wanted a lover, an equal. He wanted her to forget that he was a king and she a humble maiden and to let shared love cross over the gulf between them. The king, convinced he could not elevate the maiden without crushing her freedom, resolved to descend. He clothed himself as a beggar and approached her cottage incognito with a worn cloak fluttering loosely about him. It was no mere disguise, but a new identity he took on. He renounced the throne to win her hand. And much like Kierkegaard's king, God helps us to see that he is the king of all kings who cast off his robes in order to win our affection. See how Jesus engages with this woman who's had... Six partners. And he woos her with her love. He, if you like, demonstrates he is the seventh perfect husband for her. We then read this in verse 10 to 19. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, And the man you have now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So Jesus loves this woman where she's at. He comes to Samaria. He comes to the woman. He comes to the woman in impurity. And he loves her with such humility And then he loves her knowingly. He loves her knowingly. And I need someone to come and help me for this part. Someone who's not allergic to crackers. Is there someone uh, available to come forward who's willing to eat a couple of crackers? Yeah, come up for me. Yeah, brilliant. And maybe, uh, is there a grown-up as well who would like to do this? Maybe you're a bit peckish. You forgot your breakfast. Well done, sir. Come on up. So what I need you to do for me, if it's okay, is just start eating that cracker. That's all you need to do. Just start eating. And you're happy to, yeah? Would you like to play as well? Maybe there's some other people who would like to play. We can. We can we, I just need one more, two more, there you go. Feel free to put free snacks. I'm going to get invited back to preach, I think. <laughs> um, please just start chomping away. Um, keep going, that's it. And then um, just let us know, how, how are you feeling? You're feeling good at the moment? Great. I'm wondering, are you just maybe starting to feel a little bit thirsty? Feel like you need Annie? What, what like? the... Oh, she's, she's making the universal sign, sign <laughs> <laughs> So Annie, you're getting a bit thirsty, right? And um, you know, the world will say, Annie, you're not really thirsty, what you really need is another cracker. So I've got another cracker for you here, Annie, and for, for your dad here. There you go. Uh, that's what you really need. You really need just more crackers. That's, that's what you need. That first, that you can really satisfy that through another cracker. Is that, is that working for you, Annie, that other cracker? Is that? Oh, it is. Oh. At first it's... In. At 1st its it. Thank you. Yeah, the, the temporary uh, fix is going on there, but I think I can guarantee you That actually you will be getting more thirsty. Is that right? Are you thinking, oh, I could do with some more drink? (laughs) Well, listen, Ali, don't worry because the world has another solution if you're not quite sure if you're thirsty or not. What you don't, perhaps what you don't need is another cracker, just a plain old Jacob's cracker. What you need is a Nan's on the go mini cheese oat cake. This is, yeah, this really will satisfy your thirst. I'm, I'm sure you'll find that. Um, y- you really need this. This is so much better than any cracker you've had before. And this will truly satisfy you, I'm sure. I, thank you. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> is, is that working for you, Annie? Are you, are you, do, you feel, um, do you feel like that thirst has gone? <laughs> How, how's dad feeling? He's desperately thirsty. Let's give these guys a round of applause. So Jesus uses in this passage this whole idea of thirst. He's very contextually relevant, if you like. He's right by the well, and he uses water to talk about um, the spiritual satisfaction he wants to provide. And he helps us see that spiritual satisfaction is not found in another man, not found in another husband. It can be found in him. He is offering her the living water that the world doesn't offer. He's offering to meet her first. I don't know if you knew this, but the average young adult will have over 100,000 strands of hair at any given moment. Maybe someone's looking around like, oh, I've got a few less than that. <laughs> um, but the average uh, man will have around 100,000 strands of hair. And, and they will both lose and grow, on average, around four an hour every hour. Lose and grow four an hour every hour. What's mind-blowing is that right now, in this very moment, the Lord Jesus knows precisely how many hairs are popping out of your scalp. Not only that, he knows what you're thinking right now. He knows the very next word that will come out of your mouth, the very next muscle you will move. He could name all your hobbies and interests, likes and dislikes, hopes and dreams, strengths and weaknesses. He could tell you where you grew up, what house you lived in, where you went to school. Deeper than that, he knows the good, the bad and the ugly. He knows every single moment in your life that has shaped you into who you are now. Painful memories, traumas, failings, fears, he knows. Proud moments, joys, successes, accomplishments, he knows. The Lord Jesus knows you more deeply, more intimately, and more wholly than you know yourself. But not just you, he sees everyone as if they were made of glass. And deep in the recesses of everybody's being is an ache to know that they are known like this. To be known and understood gives a person value, significance, and meaning. To be known is to be loved. And so when Jesus brings out what we would call a word of knowledge, something he knows without knowing it, By observation, he reveals the fact he knows that she's now on to her sixth man. This isn't some kind of cool trick. He's revealing behind the curtain, if you like, the knowledge of God and the love of God. It's why Jesus uses this gift many times. For example, in, in John 1, we've read about it, about Nathaniel. I saw you under the tree before you came here. And it's why we love this gift as a group of churches. We love to reveal the knowledge of God. He knows you. You're loved. He knows everything. I can remember we were praying for a guy in our church and uh, we just, he just walked in. We offered to pray for him. We prayed for him and, and we just said, um, this might sound weird, but it's almost like you've got a lottery ticket in your pocket and you're hoping for a change in your life. But Jesus says he wants to be that change. He looks around like that and pulls out of his pocket a lottery ticket. (laughs) I was in a a pub, and uh, we were um, just offering to pray for this lady. And um, she damaged her leg, and we were praying for her. And we said, this might sound unusual, but I think very recently you've just had a relationship breakdown. And she started to weep, and we said, what's going on? She said, I damaged my leg because I went and got really, really drunk, drank too much alcohol, because the man that was supposed to marry me left me a week before our wedding she's known that the husband the true husband any husband on this earth good husband is just a pale reflection of our true husband the husband was coming he was revealing his knowledge and Jesus does that with this woman at the well he he loves her where she is she doesn't he doesn't say come he goes And he loves her knowingly. And then thirdly and finally, he he loves her sacrificially. Let's read verse 27 to 34. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I went on a big hike last year. And I was so hungry at the end of this hike, I walked into the pub and I thought, let's, let's not mess around. And I just ordered myself two meals. <laughs> they will go, no problem. If Jesus did this journey in one day, which he may well have, setting off five, six in the morning, he could have covered 20 miles that day. And so it's no wonder that when Jesus, tired as he was, sits down by the well. And it's no wonder as well that his disciples run off to uh, a Tesco's Express or a, a kebab shop uh, equivalent, I'm sure, in that day. We're hungry. We need to eat. And there's not been a horse taking us here. We've walked a grueling probably 20 miles in the heat. We need to eat. And then, and then they're kind of confounded. Jesus, has someone brought him some food? Has he uh, been on the app and, and ordered a delivery or something? Um, how has how, how he sustained right now? Surely he must need to eat something. And he says, no, 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 my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And we see this throughout Jesus' life. He forgoes comfort to express love. And to express love usually costs something. There is a price. Yet Jesus in his life is constantly paying that price. Here he's going without food so that he can meet this woman's spiritual thirst. What wonderful love. What sacrificial Love. Not only did he meet her where she was, not only did he come down to the well, to the bottom of the well, if you like, but there in that well, he's feeding her. He's pouring drink into her mouth. And this sacrifice points, obviously, to the most important sacrifice, the sacrifice of the cross, that Christ laid down his life for you and me. What wonderful love. Creation really cost God very little. He spoke, and it was not a huge cost on his behalf. He could do it again if he wanted very easily. Creation cost God little, but salvation, the possibility for us to have a relationship with him through Christ, cost him everything. It cost him his son if you were to come into my house and say, um, Chris, you know, I've really enjoyed sitting on this sofa. Could I buy it off you? bit random, but um, could I buy it off you? I, well, if the price was right, you know, we, we, we could do a deal. I'm sure we could. And perhaps even if you looked at my car out the window and said, nice car, Chris, would you be in the market for selling that? Well, I quite like it, actually. But um, if you want to offer me a good price, like, let's do a deal. But if you then turn to my son... Ollie, and said, how much? I'd tell you to get out. He's not for sale. He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all. This is the sacrificial love of God. So Jesus loves this woman where she was, He loves this woman knowingly. And he loves this woman sacrificially. You know, Jesus loves you like that. Right now, he he loves you wherever you're at. Physically, we're here, but spiritually and emotionally, there will be hours and hours and hours of stories we could tell about where you're at right now some of you going through trials and traumas, tribulations, he loves you where you are. And he loves you knowingly. He knows everything that's happened. He knows those mistakes you keep making and you're trying not to. He knows those disappointments. He knows that heartache that was brought out in the prophetic word earlier, that accusation from fellow human beings. He knows it intimately. And he comes to you today, sacrificially, humbly, knowing where you're at. He comes to you today to meet with you. And I just sense, in my heart, there may just be one or two people here who have maybe just experienced some of that love, even as I've been talking, even as you've been here, you've seen the love that people have for one another. And Jesus is calling you today to come home to him, for him to be your husband, if you like, I know it's a bit of a weird one for us guys to get our minds around. But. Just to end with the message for us who are followers of Jesus and now those two people who follow him too. God wants us to love people like this. He wants us to love people where they're at. Your workplace, where you spend most of your life, whatever you do, there are people like this woman at the well. They may present very happy, life is fine. Actually, there's stuff going on there. God has sent you as his ambassadors to where you are, to love people where they are. And he's calling you to love them knowingly. Yes, to learn their stories and to ask them questions and to get to know them, but also to reveal the miraculous power of Jesus. It might not be killing a snake through prayer. But it might be actually just saying, oh, you know what, I've been praying for this about you this week. I don't know if that makes sense. It may be just be offering to pray when someone's sick. Just a couple of weeks ago, I prayed for a guy I played tennis with. He came back a few weeks later with absolute shock on his face. As he said, the uh, specialist he's been seeing cannot believe the improvement. He's just flabbergasted. And he wants thank you. You know, When we pray, things happen. Nothing never happens when we pray. And God wants us to love sacrificially. It costs to love. It costs to love to be part of a church. Does anyone not realize that? No, we've all been here at least a week. People (laughs) let us down. It can be hard being part of a church community. It's not easy. But as we sacrifice together, as we prefer one another and honor one another and sacrifice to one another, Christ builds his church. Amen. Amen. Thank you.